Welcome to Black, Brown, and Bilingue, where our mission is to unite the black and brown communities through education, storytelling, and community engagement. The vision of Black, Brown, and Bilingue is to be part of creating a world in which black and brown identities are affirmed, bilingualism and biculturalism are nurtured, and equity is the driving force behind all that we do. Thank you for tuning in again today. I am one of your hosts, Lisa Jacobson. And I'm Maurice McDavid, your other host. Folks, you are in for a treat today. We are very excited to have Dr. Bob with us today. Um, he is a professor at NIU. Um, some of his recent courses taught are racial and ethnic relations, sociology of education, and sociological theory and migration. He's also been awarded the 2017 United Nations Peace Building Support Office and Peace Nexus Foundation grant. Um, and he's also received the 2016 Carnegie African Diaspora Fellowship for universities as potential sites for radi radicalization and impacts on state building. Uh, Dr. Ba, hello. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. I'm here. So we were thinking about what uh, guests we would like to have on the show, and you were immediately someone that we thought of because... Um, you are actually multilingual. And part of our vision at Black, Brown, and Bilingue is to have voices that can kind of show us the importance of being bilingual. And in your case, you are multilingual. So before we jump into that, though, could you tell us a little bit more about your um, personal life and your professional experience? Well, I am fortunate to have a wife and uh, two children, uh, three children, uh, two boys and uh, a daughter. Uh, all of them are, you know, everyday inspirations. And uh, we've been here in the Calp uh, since two, two, 2003. I think professionally, I am, uh, you know, a scholar, uh, first and foremost, of, uh, uh, you know, democracies, peace and conflict. And... Uh, everything that goes on, I guess, in the making of the multi-ethnic, multi-racial kind of society or state, or I guess what we call typically divided, uh, you know, societies or countries. And, uh, you know, as an academic, I've been a professor at NIU since 2003. And uh, I also edit um, the Journal African Conflict and Peace Building Review. Mm. So, uh, those are some of the, I guess, academic things. Of course, uh, I'm a lifelong learner. Every day I'm learning something. And, do, and I do also have interest in technology. So, and I also see that as um, in a part of, if we wish, um, expanding the language of uh, minorities. Could you tell the listeners uh, a little bit of background, like where you're, you're from and kind of your journey? Like what led you to NIU? Well, uh, life is a series of good accidents. 
Uh, yeah, I don't know whether I should be saying this in public or not, but uh, you know, I am not actually connected to places. Mm. And by no means I actually mean to imply that I'm not connected to people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but somehow my experience has actually been one in which place is just where I happen to be uh, at any given point in my life. Uh, so I think what uh, stays more for me really is uh, relations. Uh, you know, so in that sense, I am trans place, uh, transnational, trans and so forth. But I think it is just, uh, you know, it's just a result of the accident of my own you know, small biography. You know, um, mm-hmm. born in, uh, you know, uh, in Sierra Leone, West Africa, the parents also and grandparents who actually move across Africa. So, you know, they, we are Fulani people. And, uh, you know, uh, Fulani people by definition are always, uh, are all over the world, uh, certainly all over West Africa, uh, from West to East Africa. And uh, so I guess moving has been part of that. And uh, in Sierra Leone, I lived in two different cities. And uh, after that, I was in, uh, Bulgaria, where I did my undergraduate education, and then to New York, uh, where I did my uh, the New School for Social Research, where I did my doctorate, and then here in the cult. So, uh, you know, I'm still young, kind of. <laughs> so, <laughs> you <know. laughs> and uh, you know, I can count so many places where I've lived. That uh, so yeah, so I think uh, I guess I've come to accept that uh, you know, place is just where I happen to be to be at a given time. Uh, well, but that I think, certainly has been. Yeah, yeah, but I think the point, so I think when I think of where am I from, uh, you know, I think of it more, I guess, uh, what am I and who I am uh, and what do I belong to, uh, more so than actually the, the physicality of the places themselves. So first off, I, I love that, that idea. I love that, that thought process that you're connected more so to people and and what you are as opposed to um where you know that that specific location that being said obviously um place does tend to impact and influence you know our experiences um can you tell us a little bit you know you came from sierra leone um as a place you um, ended up here in DeKalb, Illinois, few stops along the way, including Bulgaria and, and then New York. Um, what can you tell us about your experience as a Black immigrant in Europe and, and now in the U.S.? Um, and, and what I'll say is, and, and maybe this is a comparison, maybe you just talk about it uh, in general, but when we say immigration, here in the United States, we often think of immediately Mexican, right? Or, or some type of, uh, some person from a Spanish speaking country when we say immigrant. Well, here you are, you know, an, uh, as, as an immigrant, um, but a black immigrant, maybe, you know, tell us a little bit about that experience. Yeah, so I, I think I can, uh, I guess I can talk about that in two ways. Uh, I guess one is a normal way, you know, which I'm part of. <laughs> And uh, the other way is really, I mean, how I see those things and how I, I guess, subjectively feel and approach them, you know, which is the subversive way. So I think the normal way, you know, and that is also part of my experience uh, as an immigrant uh, or somebody who has moved to somewhere else, uh, you know, uh, you come on, you come with actually certain kinds of uh, 
uh, I guess what I would say, uh, challenges and um, endowments, you know, gifts. I mean, gifts of knowledge of other places and uh, things and uh, ways of seeing the perseverance and so forth. Uh, when you come to a new place, of course, uh, you have to learn. Uh, if you don't know the language, you have to learn the language. If you know the language before you came, you have to adjust the way you, you know, I guess, talk the language. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, you have to, I guess you have to adjust the practicalities of things. Uh, but ultimately, I think uh, the question is, I guess, uh, once you set into a place, is how do you actually see yourself there? And, uh, you know, uh, whether, you know, you see yourself as uh, being here for a time and you're going back to where you came from or you are here and uh, you're making life of uh, it as it is. So in my case, I think uh, my experience has actually been one, uh, I, I, I consider it as a blessing. Uh, not necessarily everything is pleasant, uh, but uh, I think of... Uh, myself has been blessed to have uh, things that other people haven't had, uh, not because of, you know, any, I guess, uh, innate qualities in me, but, uh, you know, I just assume that that is what has, uh, the Lord has, uh, you know, destined for me, and I do my best to fulfill that. Uh, and uh, the experience, I think, um, uh, you know, as a black person, of course, I mean, uh, when you come here in the United States, the first and foremost thing, you understand that you are uh you know you have you you get into certain categories of persons uh and uh, and this is just a, a basic fact i mean all black immigrants who come to the united states their first home is actually among african americans uh you can go back to the uh the f uh, uh i guess to the africans who came here uh on their own back in the 40s and uh, 50s and so forth their first home was in harlem and harlem was precisely the place where you have african americans in this. so i think you know uh even you look at the uh, where black, recent black immigrants uh, stay, they stay among African-Americans. And um, so I think there's that uh, kind of like, uh, you know, connection right there as a people. Uh, and also, of course, the fact that, I mean, the society actually puts you all of uh, together. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, along the way, I think, uh, you know, as uh, you settle in, I mean, you begin to understand the deep histories. Uh, I think the challenge becomes, uh, you know, um, uh, how do you really, I guess, get a sense of the bigger picture, but also without losing sight of the, the little details? So I think, I guess, that is the way I'll frame uh, the normal experience or the way I have lived that. But, uh, uh, but sincerely, I, I, I think I have long stopped seeing myself as an immigrant, uh, not here, not uh, where I was before, and uh, not where I may go. Um, I know that the laws of the books uh, define everybody by a location as a citizen or somewhere or whatnot. Uh, but uh, I, uh, I see myself as somebody who uh, at any given point uh, by the will of the Lord, I am in a given place and I have to live there and I make the best of it. So I really don't see myself as an immigrant in the sense that uh, I, I, I don't belong. Wherever I am, I think I belong there. You know, mm -hmm. uh, as a human being, uh, I belong there. As a person who actually put effort, I, I belong there. So, uh, and I don't really think that anybody owns a place. Uh, you know, we are all actually custodians of places. So, I guess if I can say, I reject the idea of somebody being "quote unquote" I am the native and own it, and I am the immigrant. I think uh, the question for us is actually how we can all, you know, uh, treat one another fairly and equally, and uh, you know, be nice to one another. So. Now, if people allow that good, if they don't allow that, then we have to make it work. 
you sound very enlightened, Dr. Ba, right? I think, I think the most enlightened people, though, tend to think, of, think that way. Um, and unfortunately, you know, our history here in the United States has really um, played a part in how we group each other, right, and how we categorize each other. Um, do you feel that your experience in Europe is different than what you experienced here? And if so, how, how did it differ? Yeah, it, it is different uh, in so many ways, uh, you know, age-wise. I mean, you know, it's a different time. So, uh, I mean, I, got, I used to get the question a lot in New York, uh, how was it in Bulgaria? And, uh, you know, and I would tell them, well, it was, uh, it was a, uh, you know, uh, fruitful, but not necessarily pleasant experience. So in Bulgaria, I mean, uh, at the time that I was there, I was in my early 20s. You know, so you can see how, you know, uh, I guess you're the way you see and experience the world. Uh, I was in a place where by definition, uh, it, was, it wasn't an immigrant country. Uh, you know, um, Bulgaria was, uh, you know, uh, um, in a typical East European uh, uh, country uh, built around the idea of, uh, you know, uh, not, uh, national identities and so forth. Uh, but also I was there in a kind of like a secluded environment in the sense that I was a student at the university. And uh, for there, uh, purposely just to, you know, complete my university education and uh, leave. So I think it was for a defined time. But the other thing also that was uh, wonderful in some ways that, um, so in Bulgaria, they actually, uh, at least in Sofia, uh, that is the capital city of Bulgaria, they had a system where uh, they had hostels for all the universities in the city built in one place, which they call Studentskigrad, that is the student city. And number two, uh, again, out of Cold War politics, Bulgaria actually used to have uh, students from many, many developing countries, virtually nearly every African country possibly, uh, many from Latin American countries, uh, many from South Asian countries, uh, Vietnam. I had a Japanese uh, roommate. So you talk of actually like uh, 60, 70 buildings uh, where you know, Bulgarian students and all these foreign uh, you know, students from different countries live, young people. So uh, that is, you know, it is an extremely diverse place, of course, not anything like Bulgaria because you know, we just happen to live there. But I think um, that was a wonderful experience for me. And I think it prepared me for a place like New York uh, mm -hmm. because I, for the first time, really live in a, in a, in a truly global village, uh, literally, I mean, uh, you know, uh, colleagues, friends from, uh, you know, Bangladesh, uh, Nigeria, Angola, Japan, uh, you know, you name it. And, uh, and I remember this guy, I mean, from uh, Honduras, uh, no, actually from Guyana. I mean, he was, he was a black guy from Guyana. He was the friends with the Africans. And so, yeah, so, so, um, so Bulgaria was kind of like a bubble in some ways, but, uh, but also I lived there at a time when the country was going through the transition from, uh, from communism to uh, uh, you know, democracy and market uh, economy. Mm -hmm. So it was a very challenging time uh, economically and socially, uh, I mean, hardship and so forth. So I think all of that you know, prepared me, I think, to come back to, to compare that. Uh, when I came to New York, uh, lived in the, uh, in the Bronx, went to school in New York City, uh, in, uh, in Manhattan every day, uh, so I was comfortable being among white people, and uh, I was among white people when I, when, I, when I was at a new school in downtown Manhattan. When I went to the Bronx, I was among black people. I'm comfortable with that too. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, and, uh, and I recall actually, you know, and this is actually the little uh, visuals. When I take the train uh, from my house, the last stop on the uh, on the five, uh, going to uh, you know, uh, going to the city, the train will be 
black, black, black people all the way. And as you begin to get like around 87th Street, you begin to get uh, white people coming. So it gets wider and wider and coming back uh, the same. So, so, so again, you get that visual kind of like uh, everyday reminder of the demographics of the city and what that all means. And uh, to bring it to DeKalb, I mean, in some ways, I mean, DeKalb is like going back to Bulgaria in some ways, <laughs> you know, it's more yeah. rural and so forth. But anyway, yeah, so I guess, yeah, that's what I can say. Awesome. So, um, Dr. Bao, one of the things that you mentioned um, in, in kind of this process of, of immigration was talking about learning the language, and if you already speak the language, making sure you're speaking the language uh, properly. Um, can you tell us a little bit, you know, about that language learning for you? How many languages do you know, um, and, and how did you go about learning those languages? Right. Yeah. yeah so, uh, so you learn languages naturally, you know, if you're in the environment and you learn them, you know, uh, out of a technical institution. So, you know, schools and, uh, you know, do, uh, I guess, uh, you know, through books and, uh, and schools. So in Sierra Leone, I mean, uh, virtually all of us are multilingual because there's one common language in the country, which is Creole. Uh, but uh, uh, nearly most of us also have another language, or I guess uh, the cultural or ethnic group to which we belong, and they have a language. Uh, and most of the languages, they are part of like Mandi or kind of like those kind of languages. So in my case, I mean, I grew up, uh, you know, uh, speaking full out in, in, my, in my house uh, with my parents. And when I get to the streets, I speak Creole. And uh, when we get to school, uh, they teach us in English. So Creole and Fulani actually became, those, those are like my two, uh, I guess, natural languages. Uh, English was something that we learn in the, uh, in, uh, we learn and use in the, in the four walls of the school building, you know, and you learn how to read and write and those things. So, and I think I, I acquired English in uh, Sierra Leone. Uh, in Bulgaria, I, uh, well, uh, backtrack, I also, I mean, I do, uh, so growing up, uh, you know, uh, uh, so I had two educations in Sierra Leone. One is the formal education, which is the you know the English uh, you know national program that we do uh, you know. But also I learned uh, you know I guess uh, religious education, which is like a homeschooling, uh, which is common most kids do. But uh, you know we, uh, as Muslims, uh, we learn how to read uh, the Quran and uh, pray and those sort of things. So I acquired some uh, elementary kind of like level of Arabic, not so much as a Arabic speaker, but actually as somebody who is able to read uh, the religious text uh, in, the in the Arabic language and also understand it. So I do have like, I guess, a basic understanding, uh, I guess, you know, basic to medium level uh, in the knowledge of Arabic uh, coming out of Syria. Now, in Bulgaria, uh, yeah, I never had somebody speak Bulgarian before I went to Bulgaria. <laughs> but uh, arriving there, you first understand that, I mean, you'll be going in university in uh, your curriculum is in Bulgarian, that's it. Uh, so the way the system works is that uh, as international students, when you come there, they will put you in one, one year la intensive language program, uh, which you will do. And after that, they throw you into the university with the Bulgarian students and you do everything with the Bulgarians. So uh, we, you know, I did a language program like everybody else, and uh, then to the University of Sofia uh, curriculum in Bulgarian and learned that. Uh, so in retrospect, I mean, I have also asked, asked well, how is that possible? 
And really, it is not anything too ingenious. I mean, again, as I told you, there are thousands and thousands of students who have gone there and done that. So in retrospect, what I've realized is that uh, when you learn a language, uh, especially in that kind of like technical kind of context, you learn the language selectively. In other words, you build vocabulary, so you learn the basic, uh, you know, grammar and those sort of things, but you build vocabulary that are in relation to really your life experiences or your work. So after five years in Bulgaria, I mean, I, uh, I was very fluent in Bulgarian, uh, but the truth of the matter is that actually my Bulgarian language or the, I guess, the, the body of words that I know are mostly things that are relevant to social, economic, and political issues because, you know, that was uh, what I was studying. Uh, and in comparison, for example, like the medical students who were there, their vocabulary was much more, you know, stronger in uh, body parts and those sort of things, you know, so, and I always tell people, you know, I'm very fluent in Bulgarian, I wrote an article in Bulgarian, but actually if you were to take me into the house and begin to show me some basic uh, household utensils, I wouldn't know the names of most of those things because we live in a hostel, you know, so, <laughs> so anyway, so, and I do also speak uh, French, uh, I will say uh, that is up to, an, uh, I can read uh, fairly uh, good, and uh, I can speak fairly good, uh, writing not too very great, but I learned most of the French actually in Bulgaria, uh, ironically, uh, you know, so in Syria, of course, I mean, they introduced us to one, um, you know, uh, 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 in a foreign languages, uh, French, uh, which we did like very basic things. Uh, I mean, I happened to go to the, uh, neighboring countries in uh, in uh, in, uh, in West Africa that speaks French, but for a very. But uh, when I was in Bulgaria, so the rule was that uh, Bulgarian students have to take a foreign language, uh, and they offered German, French, English, and so forth. Now, for international students, uh, we were still taking when you're in the university, you still take Bulgarian as a, as a language. So we were not required to actually take uh, a foreign language except just take Bulgarian. Mm. But uh, it was a time when Bulgarians were actually very much interested in the West and they were learning language, languages like crazy. Every Bulgarian wanted to learn English, French, or German. Mm. And uh, the university really provided a very good uh, French language program and like others. So while well, I knew English, uh, I didn't thought that I was, was going to use a lot of German. I said, hey. So I joined actually, um, I joined the French uh, class. So I took French uh, classes for in my first, second, and third year in, in, uh, in, in, at the University of Sofia. And I hang out with uh, the students from uh, the French-speaking West African countries a lot. I bought a book. Uh, I was after this guy, Dudu. He always teaching me. So yeah, so anyway, so, uh, so yeah, so that is the way I can acquire this thing. Now, to change in the way you speak or, of course, I mean, when you move, so in this case, coming to the United States uh, with uh, speaking English globally, uh, the way they speak in Sierra Leone, when you come here, the challenge is, of course, you want to be understood, but you don't want to be disres disrespected. And, uh, and uh, what that means, I, you know, organically, I guess I, you know, uh, modified, changed the way I speak. But when people talk about accent and whatnot, I challenge them. I tell them, no, I don't have an accent. <laughs> and they say, what do you mean? I say, well, I don't. I mean, uh, you know, uh, accent is a matter of subjective thing. So, but anyway, I, I contest the idea that this is the only way they're speaking. So I really don't worry so much about how I speak. I think it evolved, uh, you know, it, it evolved uh, organically. But, uh, you know, I think it is also, you know, uh, it's on other people also to understand how other people t uh, speak, you know, in as much as we try to speak to the way they wanted us to hear them. So uh, it's a 50-50. Uh, that's my position. I love that. Um, you know, 
we always try to tell, because here in the U.S. with the Latino population, we really try to get them to embrace Spanish. And, you know, bilingual education here has really evolved. Whereas before it was, you know, you're in a bilingual program and we're going to let you, um, we're going to teach you English. And so then you don't need that Spanish. And so it's full immersion into English. Well, now we understand the benefits of being a bilingual learner. And um, before we used to think, you know, it's going to confuse people. It's going to get them behind if, if they speak two languages, but we know that that couldn't be further from the truth. Uh, do you think that knowing multiple languages has benefited you? Or could you speak to how being multilingual essentially has impacted your life? I mean, I, I know sometimes, I mean, people get impressed by how many languages you speak. I guess it gives you like some little kind of like kudos. And, You're but so I humble. Think, right, yeah, but, but I think- Not a big deal. Right, yeah, uh, yeah. I think really, I mean, uh, to give it some really thought, I think the real uh, benefit of being multilingual is not so much, I mean, certainly yeah, if you need to like say something to somebody, you'll be able to say it. But, you know, uh, if you speak English, you will be able to speak to a lot of people in the world, uh, wherever you go. But I think the benefit really of, of uh, being bilingual, multilingual really is to have a sense of uh, other people and cultures and ways of living. Uh, language is really, it's not just about, uh, you know, I guess the mechanics or the technicalities of how do we hear one another or understand one another. But I guess understand, I mean, uh, language is culture, language is people. So when you understand a language, uh, what it really also means that you have understand, uh, understood a particular culture, a certain kind of worldview, a certain kind of perspective. So for me, really what my language is actually, uh, I guess the benefit of the languages that I speak is not so much the practical day-to-day -day things. You know, I barely use uh, most of these languages on a day-to-day -day basis. But I think they, uh, uh, they have allowed me to actually see human beings, the world, society's issues through multiple lenses. I can see the lens of, through the lens of a Fulani person. I can see through the lens of a Bulgarian. I can see the through the lens of a Western, you know, Caucasian person. I can see through the lens of, uh, you know, uh, an African person. So, but I think it is embedded in language. I mean, the, so I think that is really the way I think of it. I love that. The, the benefit of that second language, and, and, and again, I, I am going to come back and listen to this myself so I can make sure I quote you correctly when we tweet it. Um, but I, the benefit is not just the technical and the skill base of, of speaking or reading or writing a language, but it is the lens into culture. And that is, is just absolutely key. I think to having a, a more global perspective and understanding the humanity, right, that, that exists in all of us. So I think um, the, there is something to be said about the power of language um, and, and kind of the, the status that it gives you um, in society. What, what, what's kind of your opinion on that? Do you believe that knowing more than one language um, impacts one's status in society? Um, and, and can you talk a little bit more even about that idea of the accent, right? And the impact of an accent uh, uh, in terms of your status in society? Yeah, so uh, I think, I mean, you know, uh, so, you know, so, you know, we are all judgmental. 
you know, and that is the, and, and that is, and nobody is to be faulted for that. I mean, we all, you know, see people we don't know much about them. So you begin with some kind of opinion, some, some kind of judgment. And uh, typically those judgments is about how we look and how we sound. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, the other part of it is like, you know, uh, the context and those who actually make those uh, judgments. So I think uh, in my experiences, I think, um, you know, uh, for people who, you know, find themselves in, uh, I guess, uh, in uh, more challenging uh, situations, environments on a day-to-day -day basis, uh, either be challenging, either be being challenged by place of poverty or ignorance, uh, or places where somehow uh, the people that you're dealing with are, you know, uh, are less exposed and have less, uh, I guess, means. Uh, they tend to actually focus more on those little little things. Uh, so your accent actually becomes a problem. Like you know, uh, you know your your name becomes a problem. You know, uh, but uh, and and the, the the flip side of that is that uh, when you are actually in circles where I guess people are people who are among people who are fortunate to have more education, uh, more cultural diversities, more you know uh, resources somehow. All of those things actually becomes benign. I mean, nobody sees that the people people easily see past that. So, if I was to walk to a bar, which I wouldn't do, but if I do, <laughs> uh, they will notice my accent first. Uh, that is what they will care about. Now, if I was to actually walk into some kind of like uh, you know meeting at a uh, uh, you know government agency with, uh, with an appointment or to be in a faculty meeting, uh, nobody's going to hear my accent. I assume. Uh, so I think you know, uh, you know those kinds of little baggages here and there. I mean, I think it really it it comes to really to question how to, uh, whether people are uh, you know on on uh, I guess uh, understand you or they can make a uh, a fair judgment about you, and the less they know, possibly the, the less they will be able to do that, and in that sense, all those little little things become issues until they can clear that up for themselves that they realize that oh your accent doesn't mean that you're dumb, <laughs> you know. Uh, and so forth. And uh, if you happen to be in environments where, you know, uh, people can easily get past that, then, you know, those becomes non-issues. Um, very insightful. So one of the things when Maurice and I sat down and talked about the idea of a podcast, um, when we were thinking about, okay, what is the purpose of it? We really settled on this idea that we wanted to unite the black and brown communities and that language may play a part in that. And you said that perfectly in your point that you made earlier about how knowing another language is really a lens through which you can connect to that culture. What do you think can be done to increase the number of black youth who are actively working to learn another language? So, I mean, learning other languages uh, is, is much easier when you have access to the environment, uh, you know, and uh, um, for those who happen to be in places where two or three languages are spoken, they will get it. It will happen very easily. Now, for most of us who are not fortunate to be in that situation, the question is, well, how do you learn that? I think the schools are uh, suddenly, it's a, it's a beginning point, but suddenly not, not enough. I mean, I know there's technology, you know, all those things, uh, people learn differently. And it comes to really people's motivations, but uh, uh, 
I think I think I will say a couple of things. Uh, the one thing, one is just uh, you know the practical part of actually getting the resources and the technicalities and so forth and people's motivations and interest. And uh, you know, uh, for those who are you know inclined, um, you know, uh, and school resources can be a beginning. Uh, so no small learning is, is small even if you learn two words that is better than no words so mm -hmm. I, you know for anybody in school they say oh well you don't learn much in the spanish class or in that class i will say learn what you get there and then you can move forward to something else so that is the uh, but i understand that of course resources are extremely limited uh, especially when people don't have free time too <laughs> right uh, mm -hmm. but uh, but i think on the uh, on the other side of it i think uh so and there may be a lot of people who may not be fortunate to actually acquire or to learn to speak a language or to really, even though they may, relate, they may be connected or related to the culture. And I think this is for me and my own children actually falls into this situation. So I cannot really tell you here that I'll be able to actually have my children speak you know, any of the languages that I speak because we are really not in that environment. Uh, I'm trying, but uh, it's actually challenging especially when you talk of like languages that are not written down. Uh, like, you know, when you cannot just get a formal curriculum. But I, uh, but I think uh, one of the things that uh, we all really have to think about is, uh, uh, you know, uh, if language is culture, and uh, in the absence of actually you being able to speak the, long, the, the, the language uh, as a technical team, what other ways can you actually relate to that culture? Can you actually affiliate and actually have identity with, it, with a culture that you don't speak the language? And I think yes, and I think for most of us, this may be the case. So, you know, uh, and that kind of affinity uh, or that kind of, if you wish, like um, sentimental, uh, symbolic affinity, uh, you know, uh, it's a very important. In fact, I mean, we, uh, I, to give you some practical examples, we have uh, in a forum, uh, you know, so, uh, so, uh, community forums, uh, you know, uh, among the Fulani people here in the United States. And it's a, a very huge, diverse group of people. And some of the people actually don't speak Fulani uh, because, you know, their parents actually never live in places where Fulani was the primary language, uh, but they see, the, but they are Fulani, so, but they don't speak the language Fulani, so, uh, but they do relate culturally. And I think to, to draw a lesson from the experience and effort of those particular people, what I see, one, they make effort to learn as much as they can, but sometimes even when they don't, they learn, they actually, so they learn the values, they learn the stories, the histories, so they can tell you the histories of the Fulani people without being able to speak Fulani. They can tell you what you know, the values of Fulani people without actually being able to speak Fulani. So uh, I think I will think of it in those two ways. Uh, certainly wonderful to be able to learn the technical part of it, but if that is not the case also. Think of it actually as uh, you can transmit the culture in the, you can teach the culture, the other culture in the language that they know. And that is also good. That is also okay uh, if that is the only option available. We uh, so appreciate uh, the time that you have taken and given uh, to this today. I think um, some of the things that you have said um, go perfectly with our mission and vision uh, for Black, Brown, and Bilingue. Um, it is typically our tradition when we are ending a podcast to ask uh, one another, and today we're going to ask you, um, what is one thing that you want uh, the, those that are gonna pick up this podcast and listen, what do you want um, them to walk away with? Well, I, I think I, so I, I, want, I want 
you know, all of those people to actually, uh, first and foremost, uh, reflect about themselves, their lives, who they are. And uh, if they happen to be uh, among uh, people who are privileged in the context of the society in which they live in, that is privileged by being a member of a majority group or worldwide or whatever it is, to really give some thought about, uh, you know, uh, how did they get that privilege? Uh, you know, uh, is it, uh, is it something of their own making or is it some inheritance or just endowing them and so forth? And I want them to actually also begin to imagine uh, the people from the other side of the angle. So for those who may be a racial minority or a linguistic minority or you know, or a disadvantaged uh, economic uh, uh, person and, and really ask themselves, how did that person come to be in that position? So I think by trying to really picture yourself in the shoes of the other person, and trying to actually picture the other person, how, you know, uh, what that potentially can do, it really, it can allow us to really begin to see ourselves in the lens of the other people. So all of this, so we live in a context today in which uh, language, culture, uh, you know, has been, uh, I mean, this is not new in the world, but suddenly I mean, now that we live in a, it has been abused and it has been politicized for destructive purposes nationalisms, uh, you know, all kinds of uh, ideas of uh, superiority of one group or another, whether it is said explicitly or not. But my, uh, my experiences across all of those places is that actually bias, uh, you know, greed and whatnot, these are not an attribute of any one particular people. Uh, all human beings are prone to behave in those same ways and all human beings are prone to behave in good ways. So, my experiences in diversity, linguistic diversity, diversity of places, cultural diversity, you know, helps me actually see other people, you know, as part of really a humanity uh, who just have to be uh, assigned a given label or happen to be found themselves in given condition. Again, I don't mean to imply that nobody takes responsibility for themselves and so forth, but, uh, you know, uh, we all live the life uh, somehow that has actually been uh, uh, given to us in some ways and along the way we try to like modify it in one way or the other. So I think uh, the lesson for everybody is that uh, uh, think deeply really about the other person. And if you also happen to be among uh, you know, uh, the disadvantaged people, think very deeply uh, you know, uh, uh, about the, other pe the people from the other side, you know, uh, uh, what are some of the things that actually uh, you can teach them? What are some of the things that actually you can do for yourself to improve? Uh, ultimately, I mean, it is, uh, if, you are, if you are opportuned to be in a context or a situation in which you can actually have a dialogue with the other person, uh, you know, or to pass information that uh, makes somebody think, uh, think of every moment really as uh, an opportunity to actually teach and learn. So, uh, uh, yeah, I think that's, uh, you know, that is, uh, that is really my own, uh, you know, uh, I guess, um, little advice for all of us because, because ultimately, I mean, what that will only do, uh, our, the, our well-being as a person depends on the well-being of the entities in which we live in. Uh, nobody's actually going to be, you know, uh, great if actually uh, the people around you are not feeling great. Uh, so... You know, so yeah, and and we can we can we can uh, we can all do something about that by beginning to have uh, honest understandings of other people, and that begins by you picturing yourself in their own shoes. 
Beautiful. Couldn't have said it better ourselves. Thank you so much for joining us um, today. You definitely gave us a lot to think about. And I, I know that the listeners are going to walk away with, with some profound things to ponder. So thank you again. I am one of your hosts, Lisette Jacobson. I'm your other host, Maurice McDavid. Muchas gracias for tuning in. Adios. Thank you.